Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 19th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of October 8th, 2023, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm just genuinely excited about this time of year. I'm genuinely excited about one of the responses that we got for the question that we had last week, and I'm just also genuinely excited. If you haven't checked out the special edition episode I dropped very late in this week, this last week, of the 300 episodes, giving a little bit of a layout of what's going to happen this year, some real high highs, some things that have been a little bit disappointing behind the scenes, what we're looking at trying to strive for in the next couple years. It's a really informative podcast. It's about 25 minutes long. But I'd highly recommend checking it out. I'd love to hear feedback. It's your feedback that helps keep me going. And it's your feedback that helps also steer where we continue to take these conversations of ours week after week. So I'm excited about it. I am excited about where we're going to go this week. I know it's a subject I've talked about before. But I think we're going to be taking it from a different perspective. And that's always fun. But before we jump into that, let's look back at last week's question, which was, where do you need to put aside your preconceptions to allow God in? And there was a great response to this. This is a loyal listener who has been around the globe a few different times, and he states in his response that one of the things that he assumed was that after going through the first half of his life, that that would give him that the second half of his life will be similar. And then starts going through how a lot of things have actually changed and how in all that we need to continue to remember that God has a plan, that God is in control. And in doing that, it can be hard for us to do it, but it's a way that we should be doing it. And I think one of the responses that I would say back to that is, This isn't a new concept. It's that we struggle with this. When you look even back to the tribes of Israel and when they're wandering around the desert for 40 years, how much they talk about going back. Go back to what they know, even though we know in hindsight, it's not better. It wasn't better for them to be slaves in Egypt. It was more comfortable because they knew what to expect. And I think that's where our own human nature sometimes comes in. We like having the feeling of knowing what to expect. And in doing that, it sometimes can lead us down the wrong path because we're looking for history to repeat itself instead of trying to look forward on where is history trying to lead us. And I've gotten a little bit more in the last like year or two looking into like the stock market. You also will find it in a lot of places like sports history. You'll look at it and find it even in history of science that we're constantly looking backwards. We're constantly trying to find trends of things that have happened in the past. We're constantly trying to say, well, look at this and maybe this will lead to this. Or when this event type of event happens, typically this happens, which sometimes can be actually very limiting for us because it isn't allowing us to actually expand our minds to learn and to allow God in to be able to lead us on to that next great thing. So let's just jump into this week's podcast. But before I do, I don't do this very often, but because I knew this was a subject that I've talked about before, I want to make sure this wasn't the subject that I covered three years ago. And I didn't. I covered a very different one. 
And so I'd highly recommend checking out 10-4-2020, Do You Really Sacrifice? And I talk about spiders and specifically the desert spider and what goes on with that. I'm not going to spoil the whole thing here, but this is kind of an interesting podcast. I like looking back and always seeing what have I talked about in the past. So I'd highly recommend checking that one out. It's a unique one. It was one of those where I was reading through and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this one and it's a pretty fun one. So unless you have arachnophobia, I'd highly recommend checking that out. So let's just jump into it. One of the Old Testament texts that you can have is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 4, 7 to 9, and 12 through 20. This is the laying out of the Ten Commandments in one of the spots where Moses is laying this out. So, honoring the Lord your God, having no other gods before me, don't have an idol, taking the Lord's name with honor, honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy, and then it starts getting into relationships with others, honoring your parents. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not covet what your neighbor has. And when the Israelites heard this, Moses was presenting this up on a mountain with the clouds and with the thunder. And it's this moment where the people are scared. And Moses responds with in verse 20, do not be afraid. For God has come only to test you and put fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. This idea of God trying to prevent us from being difficult. God trying to prevent us from hurting ourselves. So sometimes you come in more powerfully. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 19, all 14 verses of it. And this then is a psalm that's going through the, as we're walking together then, as we recognize and we walk this out and we build the relationship like we saw above, the first few being about the relationship that we have with God, the rest being with our relationship with others. But as we're walking with God, there's so much that we can learn. There's so much that God is trying to provide and trying to give to us, but we have to be in the state to be able to receive it. We need to be able to be walking alongside and being able to recognize all these things that God is doing to be able to see these gifts. And in doing that, it would allow us to be able to be closer and be more intimate with God. And so often we actually fall short of that. The other Old Testament text this week is out of Isaiah chapter 5, the first seven verses of it. This text will be very relatable to the gospel this week. So this is a story of that you have a vineyard and it's on a fertile hill. And so that they dig, they clear the stones, they plant the choice vines, they build a watch tower in the middle of it. They are preparing it to yield grapes. But the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judah get compared to wild grapes that have overgrown this thing. And I'll attach, it's not maybe the most credible source, but it's an easy source. One of the things that's difficult with wild grapes is they're smaller, they're not as sweet, it's harder to pick, they don't clump the same way. So it's this idea of how at times it could be almost a waste for the wild grapes because there's so little there to actually be able to harvest. There's so little produce there that is actually going to be something of use. And so it's one of those things that often will get left behind. So it's this idea of how God is trying to make this thing, but yet sometimes we get in the way from being able to produce these amazing things and falling into other ways. The psalm that goes with that then is Psalm 80 verses 7 to 15. 
And so this is then this restoring psalm, this recognition of that we need to be restored. And we get this beautiful poetry in the first part of this, of that there's a vine being brought out of Egypt. And you can almost imagine, as like Caroline Lewis talked about, carrying it in a pot. And then it gets planted and it builds roots and covers the land. So this idea of how God sometimes is trying to move us to get us into these places of fertile soil and it's allowing us to be able to build our root systems deep to be able to grow. But that means that we need to continue to trust and to lay into who God is and not necessarily take it upon our own assumptions. The epistle text or New Testament text this week is out of Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 4b to 14. This is, I would say, a very prototypical Paul verse that it's this whole idea of, yet whatever I have gained, I regard it as lost because of Christ. All these things, and he goes through in the first few verses of how he should have all this honor and how he was doing things right, but yet it fails in comparison to being able to know who Christ is and spending that time being closer and closer to God and recognizing that in that, that we are trying to obtain something that we don't deserve, that Christ did on our own behalf. And in doing that, this is paying homage to that. That's the recognition of that. And in doing that, we also learn more and more of what that actually means. The gospel text this week is out of Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 46. So Jesus is telling a parable here, and this is the parable of a landowner who planted a vineyard. Sound familiar? He put a fence around it. He dug a well press. He built a watchtower. He leached it to tenants in another country. And come harvest time, he sent slaves to collect the produce. But the tenants killed and stoned these slaves. So he sends another set of slaves. And they were treated the same way. So finally, he sends his own son, thinking that they will be respected. The tenants then see this as an opportunity. And so they kill him. And so in doing that, now the owner of the vineyard comes. And the question that Jesus poses is, what will be done with these tenants? And the people are responding with, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give them produce at harvest time. And Jesus disputes that and even brings up the old part of scripture section that says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is amazing in our eyes. And in doing this, the Pharisees are realizing that they're the ones being talked up against and they're upset as we get to the back end of this. But again, it's this idea of how sometimes what we assume should happen and what is actually happening are not actually the same things. So, before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we'll be doing a famous plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between the Sermon Brayways podcasts or commentaries or discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give you this podcast. Heck, I've even brought it up this week already with mentioning some Caroline Lewis. It's a great resource. It's a great spot to be able to look at and compare and think about and look at commentaries for all these different texts. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I would highly recommend that. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt Divinity Library. 
I really enjoy how they lay out the text week to week. But on top of that, one of the other things that I really enjoy how they do is having the art, the hymns, the liturgical colors, prayers, all right there for you to be able to utilize and to look at and to consider in your own spiritual practices or your religious settings. So I'd highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. Finally, I'd also highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications. These newsletters and reflections come out to be able to provide ecological echoes and implications and urgencies to be able to help prepare you when you're thinking about utilizing these texts to be able to possibly put these in. I really enjoy these. I'd highly recommend it. I've talked about I will be writing for one of these at the end of the year. So get ready. It's still coming. But it's in a super exciting thing. If you are sitting down and listening how faith and science come together week after week, I'd highly recommend checking these out. They do it a little bit different focus, but it's a great resource and an amazing place to be figuring out how to bring the environment into your preaching or into your biblical practice week after week. We know best, don't we? We like to assume that we do. Heck, it's been one of the things that at times in scripture, we really like leaning into the idea of dominion, and that's a whole nother subject for a whole nother day, but we like having control. But yet, we are realizing, and even going back to the question from last week and the response that we got, that this isn't what this is about. Our faith is about letting go of control, and part of that is because we don't see the full scope. Think about back to what we talked about with the Exodus reading this week. At the end, that God is coming there and is speaking through Moses to not to scare the people and make them afraid of God, but put to fear of sin in them so that they follow the commandments that God has given. And in doing that, to be able to have a better relationship with these people, how the expectation of that these wild grapes are not worth it, and first and foremost, but that beginning with that they're planting the grapes and all of a sudden it's wild grapes. And what does that mean? And the people of Israel at that moment, not living up to the potential of who God had called them to be. But the curveball that we get in the gospel, where we assume that we're hearing this parable coming out of Isaiah, and suddenly it's not. And suddenly we have people dying. And suddenly we expect that these tenets are going to be ridiculed. And Jesus states, no, you have no idea what you're talking about. You haven't foreseen the whole picture. You're focused on the here and now. We as people struggle with this a lot. And we have done this a lot in our own lifetime. And I'm going to get into one example this week. And that includes this week, dichloral, diphenyl, trichloroethane. Sound familiar? More known by the codename of DDT or DDE. This was a product that coming out of World War II was all over the place. It was initially developed in the 1800s and 1874 by an Australian chemist, but really the practicality of being used as an insecticide came around in 1939 and was utilized a lot in World War II for helping just prevent bugs. And it was even used in a lot of the different garments that the United States used with their armies to help prevent having to deal with these insects. And when it came back, 
we decided this was the opportunity to eradicate some of the different diseases that we were dealing with here in the United States that were being carried by insects, in particular mosquitoes. So like malaria in different parts of the world. But looking at this as being this just super awesome bulletproof type thing. And it's an odorless, tasteless, colorless, or almost odorless compound. So it just seemed like a perfect thing. Just poof, 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 put it out there. And as we continued to put this out there more and more, one of the things that we weren't aware of at the time is the problem within bioaccumulation. Bioaccumulation is like mercury is another compound that bioaccumulates. It's the idea that in small doses, it's maybe not a problem, but the problem is, is as it trickles through the ecosystem, it keeps with those organisms. So it keeps magnifying as you keep picking it up. So for instance, if you are eating fish and fish have trace amounts of it, but your diet is more and more fish, you eat it, but it doesn't pass through you. So it continues to stay with you, thus elevating your levels over time. The problem with this became is that specifically with raptors is the most known and easy example. It would make it so that it was having problems within the developmental phases for the calcium to be able to actually build up on eggshells and making it thinner. Thus, when the parent raptors were sitting on their eggs, they were cracking and thus you would have no young, which then caused a lot of tanking of the populations of raptors. As we have continued to do more and more research on DDT, DDE, DDD, we have realized that there is potentially cancerous types of problems that can come from more and more exposure because of this bioaccumulation. And even as the World Health Organization looks at this as a moderately hazardous compound, and it's looked at even within the U.S. National Taxology Program as moderately toxic compared to when it was initially advertised in the late 40s and early 50s, and I'll attach some links of what those look like, that it was this cure-all drug. And in doing so, there's still been a lot of controversy with it. It's basically banned throughout the world outside of being able to use in specific cases to get rid of a specific thing where you're needing to go in hard with it. Being used in something like vector control, so where they're trying to eradicate a specific type of influence or a specific type of like mosquito or varmint with this stuff. And there's still a lot of controversy about it because of what it goes into the environment and how it doesn't just dissipate very quickly. The typical process with this is the rumor it kind of is the half-life is somewhere in the ballpark of like six to ten years. So it takes a while to really dissipate out of the ecosystem. And again, I'll even attach a video from PBS Nova in the 1970s kind of talking about how there was still one factory still producing this. But it's kind of become kind of a controversial compound, a controversial 
pesticide to is this really going to be beneficial? How did this all turn around? How do we get these viewpoints? Is someone like Rachel Carson? There were other scientists who were really starting to look into different things. It was Rachel Carson, though, who was really starting to put all the different pieces together and starting to look at what was the effects environmentally on what was going on and noticing from a friend's letter the lack of birds and thus getting in 1962 her super successful book of Silent Spring and trying to get us to think environmentally about what some of the different compounds and stuff that we are using out in the world and what are they doing. And this book definitely kind of targeted more DDT, but it's also kind of inspired a lot of the base roots to the current environmental movement is being more conscious about what pesticides and compounds that we are using on our crops and in our environments and what are they actually doing. The beauty of what Rachel Carson did is it got beyond what we had initially tested and was looking for more long-term. And that's one of the things as humans we struggle with. We like getting the short-term result. Was was DDT in small amounts not really super hazardous? Yes. The problem is the bioaccumulation effect and the more and more it was exposed to you, the more and more it did have effects and potentially is cancerous. And even as they were testing people in the 50s and 60s with their blood, they were finding basically everybody had it in their blood because of how it was just being sprayed all over the place. And this then has changed and drastically had us rethink this type of thing. But the thing is, is when we look at our gospel text, it's not that different. First, the tenants are not thinking very long. They're thinking, if we can just keep badgering these people who are supposed to be doing whatever their job is to be able to return money to the person who properly owns the land, we can take over this. To the point where when he sends his own son, this is our opportunity. This is our chance that we can have this land. And so then when Jesus poses the question of what is the landowner going to do to those tenants, of course, we're thinking he's been killing people. He's been stoning people. He's been causing all this havoc. Why wouldn't we do the same thing? Revenge is a dish best served cold. Let's bring it on. Do it. And Jesus is like, have you not understood? Have you not read the own scriptures that the cornerstone, the most important for a building to be able to hold, but the one that's been rejected has become the chief cornerstone over like an archway, that it's holding everything together. This idea of, no, he's going to go in love on these people. But in order to do that, they have to be able to see beyond the situation that they're in at the current moment. They need to be able to see beyond this idea of what is the five to 10 year outlook. We need to look at the long-term effect. DDT, the problem that we ran into is we were looking at the short-term effects. It was doing a great job at getting rid of mosquitoes and other insects that were pestering us. And yes, there were some medical benefits because of that. We were getting rid of different diseases, yes, but we didn't understand the full implication of what we were doing. 
We didn't understand the lasting effects of what we were doing. And that is what Jesus is talking about. We, as we are building this relationship with Christ, is trying to get so that we can hear the messages of understanding the lasting effects of what we're doing. To be able to understand and have a focus that is beyond the current moment, but it is a focus that is long. And it's long that means beyond our lifetime, because that's the way that God works. And if we're trying to emulate that, we have to have that same type of focus. When we're looking at those last few verses in Exodus, we see God trying to do that. We see God trying to help set up the people in the correct direction. We see the psalmist reminding us of when we've done this that we can learn so much and it can lead us in the right direction. And then we have where we don't live up to our potential in Isaiah when we don't follow these things. And that we need to then be restored. We need to be refocused. We need to be able to reevaluate, take in new data. We need to be able to critique our opinion. We need to be able to realize what we thought was good is maybe not as good as we initially thought. And that means we have to humble ourselves like what Philippians is talking about, letting go of the self to be able to understand the message of what God is trying to provide and lay out for us is something better. We have to be willing and able to deal with that within ourselves. We have to be willing and able to hear the hard news that we are causing damage to the environment, that we need to make adjustments in order for the world to continue to take care. And the thing is, that's the hardest part of it, is that humans may not benefit from it. It might be for the benefit of everything else in God's creation. We're just a part of it. We're here to help manage it, not to control it. That's not our role. And things are going to evolve and change. And that's hard too. Because as you're trying to save things, how are we supposed to save things if things start changing and suddenly they disappear? And then we question, is it our completely our fault? Or is part of that also the change? And But were we part of that change? And that's a whole nother discussion. But this idea of we have to be open to the change. We have to be open to recognizing where we are wrong and then making that change to make the world a better place. DDT was banned in 1972 in the United States, which then over the next 25 years was banned across many nations and is, as we stated earlier, basically banned across the board. We recognize now what we thought was just this pure and safe chemical is a little bit more risque than we initially thought. We had to evolve and change. Just like the Pharisees had gotten to the point where they thought that they were in the right. They thought that they had it all figured out and all these other people, they're crazy. They don't do it pure enough. They don't do it well enough. They don't do it right. And then they're challenged and they don't take it well. We as humans, we as Christians continue to need to recognize and work on this. We need to understand that there are things that are going to be challenged where we have to be able to nod our head and say, you know what, you're right. And maybe we need to work together or maybe you're just giving me the news so that I can take that humble pie and recognize that there's things that need work and need to be addressed. 
I think within the church and within our world, there's a lot of that. It's a hard thing in science when you've held something so true, so essence. Look at last week when we were talking about outer space and how we've assumed these things, but now the two models aren't lining up and it's causing us to question things. And so thus you're even getting crazier potential outcomes. That's good. That's allowing us to be able to expand and open up our mind to what is possible, what is going on, to be able to actually potentially find the answer. So in doing that, that means that we need to potentially let go of things that we have held near and dear and true, but the time has come to let go. And that's difficult, but it's also sometimes where God is trying to lead us to help us understand who God is. And I think When we look at the world, when we look at the church, when we look at science, all of these are wrestling with this phenomenon in different ways, over different things. And I think, like our listeners stated, we have to be okay with acknowledging this, accepting this, and letting things go. So the question I have for you this week is, where do you need to let go so that God can teach? Where do you need to let go so God can teach? I think it's a hard thing with life as we grow older of letting go. Letting go of things that we no longer can do for various reasons. Letting go and realizing that the person that we were at one point is not the person that we are today. And realizing that that's a good thing. Realizing that we are still becoming the image of who God is wanting us to be. And it's a work in progress. And realize that in that, we grow and we're able to better understand who this God is that we are worshiping and better understand who God created us to be. And maybe, just maybe, we'll also understand some of the places where we fall short. So maybe we're not wild grapes. Maybe we're not bad tenants. We end up being good tenants. We end up being good grapes. And we leave behind a legacy that states something greater than ourselves. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.